week has gone just as good as it can go. I know what Wednesday nights feel like. I see it on your face. But we're going to work through and learn anyway. Whatever day you've had, you're going to overcome. We're going to learn together. We want to uh, bow before God's holy throne this time, so let's please uh, do that together. O Lord, our righteous Lord, we are grateful that we can call upon Thee as our Father. Thank Thee, O Lord, for Your majesty and Your power. And we're thankful, Father, You have so overlooked our lives that we have this opportunity. Lord, bless us with open hearts as we open up Your Holy Word. Help us to acknowledge and realize what a tremendous privilege and blessing it is to be able to look into Your mind and see the things that we need to know and learn and apply. We thank You, Lord, for this opportunity in this class and we're thankful that we have individuals who are willing to work with our little ones and our young people. Bless them also, dear God. Lord, as we assemble as Your family, we're mindful of those who are facing different situations in their lives. And Lord, we ask Your blessing to be upon Brother Denny at this time, Brother Wendell, that You would bless him as he faces this surgery this coming Friday. That you would look over him, Father, and protect him. Be with those that will be administering service to him. That all may go well. And that the things that are done will be the very things he needs to have done. That will help him to be stronger. And that he may be able to serve thee, O Father, for many years to come. Bless him and his good family. Lord, bless us all together and help us to look after each other and to bear one another's burdens. Father, we're praying for the congregation here and the congregations that meet elsewhere. And we pray, Father, that every good work done in Your name might be blessed and might find uh, fruit and that things may go very well. Please look after those, Father, who are in difficult regions both in this country and in other parts of the world. And we pray, Father, for them. We are grateful for their courage, their stand for what's right. And Father, you know their needs. We pray your blessings. Lord, we're thankful for every family represented here uh, this evening. Pray for all our families, Father, pray especially for our moms and dads. And these tremendous work they do, the powerful examples of they are. Father, we're grateful that we have this opportunity and bless each individual here. And Father, may we leave tonight with a greater desire to be who you have us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So, real good news. You won't have to listen to me next Wednesday evening. Brother Marlon Rutherford plans to begin our summer series uh, next Wednesday on May the 20th. Uh, six. Is it May 26 already? Is it that close to the end of May? 
And so that's coming upon us. Summertime is coming uh, upon us. We're grateful for uh, different ones will be coming our way. We've been looking in on Wednesday evenings at different subjects and different ways to defend uh, the Lord, to defend the Lord's cause. And this evening we're going to zero in on the Lord's uh, church, the Lord's church. When it comes to the concept of the church, I can't think of a more a more real situation of confusion than what you find in reference to the Lord's church. God's concept of the church, defending God's concept of the church, is the direction we're going to take this evening. Let's think about word association for just a second. When you think of the word cat, what comes to your mind? Mouse? Dog? Kittens? Okay. Scratching? Um, according to who you are, you might think companion, or you might think allergies. Okay. When you think of um, Coke to drink, what do you think? Pepsi. Diet Coke, soft drink, popcorn, peanuts. I think of um, I think of summertime when I was little and I was in little league. Baseball meant we were going to get a Coke. Coke. After every game, we could run from little league field all the way up to the big fields where there was one concession stand and we got a Coke. Understand, this was the size of a coffee cup that had ice in it, but it was Coke. The only time I can remember ever getting Coke throughout the summer was at the ball field. When we think of words, we automatically associate different ideals with those words, different situations. What do you think of when you think of the word church? A lot, in a lot of ways, when you say the word church, you're saying a lot of spiritual things. You're, you're conveying a lot of spiritual ideas. And so I want to ask some questions about the church as a means of helping us to be ready to have the tools we need to defend God's concept of the church. And so you're very, very welcome and encouraged uh, to speak up. So just as a matter of review, really, first question is, concerning the church and the birthday of the church, how would you trace the birthday of the church? Does the church first have a birthday? Okay. Does everybody agree the church has a birthday? Acts 2, day of Pentecost. And so how would you get started? How would you trace, how would you lead someone to the birthday of the church? Mark 9, 1, it would come with power in the kingdom. All right. Mike says you can start on, a, on the path of Mark 9, verse 1, a good place to start. Because there Jesus says that during his own generation, the kingdom of God would come with power. And you can trace that out all the way down to the day of Pentecost, when power came upon 
uh, Jesus apostles. All right? What would be another path to get someone to the birthday of the church? Okay. Another good path Allison is mentioning is Matthew 16, when Jesus responded to Peter's remark. Okay. And Jesus was asking his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And Peter came forth and said, Thou art the Christ. We must remember how important the identity of Jesus is to the church. <coughs> Jesus, the Son of God, forms the foundation. That truth forms the foundation of the church. And from there, as Allison was mentioning, Jesus promises Peter that upon this rock I will build my church. You can, you can count on the words of Jesus, and you certainly could count on those words, he promised to give Peter the keys of the kingdom, and as you know, Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. All right, so very good question. Um, question number two, was there ever a time when the church was not in the mind of God? Now, the church had a beginning, as you guys are illustrating, but was there ever a time when the church was not in the mind of God? There's a no, and then what else after that? Okay. It had always been planned for God to bring the church to the world? Before the foundations of the world. Even before the foundations of the world. With God, there really is no time. So if the church has been in the mind of God, then the church, uh, then, then the church really, in that sense, has an eternal aspect to it. Okay. Let's look together at Ephesians 3. We'll be having our Bibles constantly coming back to the book of Ephesians. It's a great book. If somebody has questions about the Lord's church, then a lot of the answers found right in this book, Ephesians. Ephesians 3, notice with me, verses uh, 10 and 11, Ephesians 3, 10 and 11, Paul says, to the intent that now unto the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places might be made known through the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there seems to be an indication there that the church was part of God's eternal purpose, which, as Allison was saying, goes way back beyond our ability really to comprehend time. Run over with me to 1 Peter 1 also. This is part of what Mike was just referring to. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 to 20 18 and 19, speaking of Jesus' sacrifice for us, His redeeming precious blood. But then look at 1 Peter 1 and 20. All of this about Jesus was foreknown, 1 Peter 1, 20. It was foreknown indeed before the foundation of the world, 
but was manifested at the end of these times for your sake. So if the church has to do with the salvation of man, God was thinking about all of this even before the foundation of the world. He was thinking about Christ, his, his sacrificial blood, his being a lamb without spot, without blemish, and he's thinking about the church as well. Also Ephesians 1 and verse 4, according to his chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Alright, we can add that to our passages. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4, he's chosen us uh, in Christ before the foundation of the world. Remember that the church is the kingdom, which we'll be probably seeing in just a minute again, but all throughout the Old Testament scriptures, there's references made, like in Daniel 2.44, God will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And then when John the Baptist came on the scene, he was preaching repentance and the kingdom of God. Jesus also, talking about repentance and kingdom of God. Jesus... Matthew 16, promising the keys of the kingdom. So the kingdom came to be established, the day of Pentecost. The final phase of that kingdom uh, will be heaven, the heavenly kingdom. Paul mentions the heavenly kingdom in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 18. Okay. Question number three. We'll get more into our discussion now. Question number three. Is it ever proper to say the words, I'm going to church? Do some consideration about this. Is it ever proper to say, well, I'm going to church? It wasn't according to your mom? Ken's reminding us that church is the people and not the place. The reason I ask this question because it does provide us a, a way of studying how the word church is used uh, in the New Testament. Okay. So, of course, one way is it refers to the body of saved people throughout the entire world in a very general sense. Okay. Well, we can talk about the Lord's church in the United States, the, world, the Lord's church in the world. That's the way Jesus uses the term Matthew 16 when he says, I will build my church. It's the way Paul uses it when he says that Christ is the head of the body of the church in Ephesians 1. How we read in Ephesians 3 that the church is, has been brought in through the eternal purpose of God. So it's a bod the body of saved people who are just generally there and on a worldwide basis. I'm thankful for this as you are to think about how we have a wonderful brotherhood. No matter where we might be, we usually can search out our brethren. Okay? Not in every single place, but in many places we go. And most of the time when you're able to do that, then you, the blessing is yours. A second way the, the word church is used, or in general way, is to refer to local churches. As a great example of this, if you look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 11, you'll remember that John's experiences and writings are going to the seven what? The seven churches of Asia. 
the words God's church organized on a local level. In fact, that's the only way the Bible speaks of the organization of the church. There is no worldwide organization of the church, per se. There's local organization with Christ being the head, of course, of the church. Now, when we read seven churches of Asia, we're not reading about seven different kinds of churches that believe and practice different ways and different, uh, different meanings. We're talking about the Lord's church meeting locally in seven different <coughs> places. Like Ephesus and Laodicea and Sardis and other places. We remember from our lesson Sunday how important it is to sow the pure seed. The reason we have different kinds of churches not authorized by God is because we don't, men do not sow pure seed. When you have pure seed, you have things planted that should not be planted. Jesus says in Matthew 15, 13, that every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted shall be done what? Shall be rooted up. Cast into the fire. Now, here we go. You know, you know why I ask this question? Right. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. Notice carefully 33 and 34. Paul is trying to bring some calmness and unity to the brethren in Corinth. Chapter 14, 33 and 34. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And notice how he puts this in verse 34. Let the women keep silence in the what? In the churches. For it is, it is not permitted unto them to speak. Let them be in subjection, as also says the law. It seems that the word church there is referring to assembly time. When the church is called together. Because we don't go around trying to make our women be quiet any other time, do we, Houston? You going to try that? So this would refer to a particular manner of the church. And that is when the church is assembled. So Paul's talking about when you're assembled, then the ladies are to be quiet in a certain way. And that, of course, with other passages like 1 Timothy 2, talks about the leadership roles in the church. Okay. So in this sense, then, it is proper to say, well, I'm going to assembly, I'm going to church. All right. Question number four is going to be divided into different parts, but I want you to respond. What do you think God wants you to understand when he describes the church in different ways? For example, what do you think God wants you to understand when he describes the church as a kingdom? We know the church is described as a kingdom. 
What do you think God wants you to understand? What does he want everybody to understand when he says, well, the church is a kingdom? Jesus is the king. The world is the subject of the Christian's heart. His people and his law are king with his So Mike gets us started on that, that Jesus is king. We remember Colossians 1, 13 and 14. We have in our conversion to Christ, God takes us out of the darkness of this world and he translates us, transfers us over into the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of his dear son. And so in being transferred into the kingdom, indeed, we are taking on Jesus as our king. Elaborate on, on that a little bit. What does it mean to take Jesus on as your king? They be subject unto him. Okay, servants. Okay, servants. He's the head. Okay, he's the head. He's he's the sovereign. Sovereign. Okay. If you write out that word sovereign, at the end of that word is the word reign. What are, what the king does? He reigns. He rules. Uh, Colossians three fifteen says, "Let the peace of Jesus." A rule in your hearts. Let him rule in your hearts. Uh, Jesus himself says in Matthew 23 and verse 8, One is your master, and all of you are servants. One is your teacher, all of you are disciples, learners. Okay. And so the church is not a democracy. The church is not a republic. The church is not made up of people who create the rules and the principles by which to to operate and to live by. This is all done by our king. He is our sovereign uh, ruler. And as you have already suggested and thought about, uh, not only is he our sovereign ruler, but he then demands our submission, our subjection to him in all things. This is very important to really underline. It's important to, to convey this when we are talking about the church, when we're sitting down at, at the kitchen table with someone, uh, it's very important. This is, this is foundational because this will be referring, as you go through, as you're trying to bring somebody to Christ, you'll go back to this again and again. Remember, you know, it's not man. It's not man. It, it, it's the rule of Christ is what we're looking for here. And so it, it requires submission. Submission, yield, we yield to him, we bow uh, to him, complete allegiance uh, to him. So it is Jesus who forms our beliefs. It is Jesus who forms our habits and our practices and our deeds. Be turning over with me if you don't mind. Let's read uh, for our benefit. 2 Corinthians 10. This should show this absolute power. 2 Corinthians uh, 10. Brother Houston, you want to read uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 10, 3 through uh, 6. 3 through 6.
Notice verse 5 and 6 there. Even our thoughts are to come under the reign of Jesus. Even our thoughts are to be obedient unto Him. That is full submission. Uh, He is sovereign over us. He requires our full submission. And that's very important in understanding the church. We don't create the rules. It's not a democracy. He is, of course, our ruler. Okay, what do you think God wants us to understand when the church, when God refers to the church as, as the body of Christ? What do you think God wants people to understand when he refers to the church as the body of Christ? Okay, we're all one. We're all one body. I think that is the, the prevailing idea is unity. Unity. Now, of course, Jesus being the head of the body, it's, it's similar to him being the king over his subjects. Because we get our instructions from the head. The head regulates the body. But another dominant idea is that unity must prevail. The church is the body. And in a healthy body, the hand does not work against the foot. And the eye does not work against uh, the tongue or the ear. And the heart doesn't work against the lungs. A good, healthy body is a body that is working together. And so, of course, that's the way that God intends for the body of Christ, the church. Unity must prevail. Just as the members of the physical body are coming together to create a good life for that person in that body, so the spiritual body of Christ has one ideal in mind, that is to please Jesus. And if everybody is trying to please Jesus, if everybody understood that each one has a role to please Jesus, and God expects us to work together, there would be so few fusses in the church, so almost none, almost none, and their love would prevail. So that's, that's God's idea. What do you think God wants us to understand when he describes the church as the house of God? The house of God. What's, what do you think the dominant ideal there is? If you're in the book of Ephesians, you can find it in Ephesians 2, 18 and, and 19. You can read about it. Beginning in verse 17, Ephesians 2, And he came and preached peace to you that were afar off, and peace to them that were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit unto the Father. So then you're no more strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. Household of God. What do you think God is conveying to us when he talks about the church being the house? Spiritual home, spiritual uh, family. And it's supposed to be like this, that faith is thicker than, than blood. That the blood of Jesus demands our allegiance to the house of God. Alright, let's move on to another question here. And that is, uh, is it proper for someone to say, well, I'm, I got saved by Christ, now I'm going to find a good church 
to be part of. Isn't that the general denominational ideal in the world? That I'm a Christian, but I'm not yet associated with any church. I'm kind of still seeking that. I was reading an article the other day, and there was a religious couple guys who were noticing some of the surveys over the years about religious churches. It seems that in our country, back in the 1930s, that about 73% of Americans were affiliated with a church. Now, coming down to 2018 and 19, that number has dropped to about 42% or so. But the interesting, the thing that that drew me into the article was that these guys were saying this is not such a bad thing. It just means that, that people have taken their faith to a solo level. And to them that was just good, that was fine. As long as you have faith, then that was just fine. Okay. As long as you have a personal faith in Jesus, then your church affiliation really doesn't matter anyway. But we know better than that. Ephesians 5, uh, 23, uh, Jesus, it says of Jesus that he is the Savior of the body. And so if one is saved from his sins, then he is automatically a member of the body of Christ, which of course, as Ephesians says over and over, is the church of the Lord. It's just logical to to think that through, that Jesus saves us, he adds us to the church as is brought out in, in many passages. All right, well, let's move on. Uh, question number six is this, why really bother with the church? Right, let's, we, we know a lot of these foundational principles, and, but why, why is the church worth your time? Why would you really bother with the church Going back to this article, they, they went ahead and said in their article that it's still good to go to church because usually you have a happier life. You're not as distressed, you're not as depressed, you have less stress, you have less drama. People that go to church don't drink as much, they don't use drugs as much. People that go to church generally are more giving, more generous, more sacrificial. And so they were giving several reasons, even though they didn't think it was essential, They gave several reasons why you ought to go ahead and affiliate with the church anyway. But for us, we're looking through all that and we're saying, well, why why really bother with the Lord's church? I hope it's for better reasons than what these guys in that article would... would, It doesn't really make a lot of uh, good scriptural sense because when we look into the first century church... Uh, they were distressed. Many of the members in the early church, they were being chased out of their homes. They, were, they didn't have this easy-going life at all. And so these guys and their surveys, you know, not, they're not getting very far. But for us, why is it really, what's fundamental about giving the church our time and our lives? All right. So Mark makes a good remark about the church being the bride of Christ, and Christ is coming back for his bride. Good, very good thought.
Okay. So Brother Paul is saying that certainly the strengths, our strength can be found with the church, in the church, because the devil is after all of us and we can bind together and learn ways to resist him. Okay. Who else was saying something? First, Matt's saying it's the right way. It's the right way of thinking to think about salvation being in church and we're automatically associated with it. And then, of course, it's very difficult to edify one another if we're not uh, together. Well, God's one adds us to the church. Acts chapter 2. God adds us to the church. I want us to think about this also. And you've heard it many times, but let's not forget it. The word church comes from two, well, it comes from one word that has two parts. You've heard it called ecclesia. Ek part means out. The klesia part means to be called, to be called out of. When we obey the gospel, it is a calling. God is calling us out of the world. And he is placing us in the church. And so we must must look at our, our lives uh, as a calling, okay? as, a, as a mission, if you will, uh, as complete devotion to Christ. Why, why do I bother with the church? Well, why do I get up and breathe every day? You know, it's just that, it, it is supposed to be just that natural. Why do, I, why do I pray? Why do I read the scripture? Why do I try to form a good character? It's all about devotion to Christ. And so why... Why do I gather with my brethren? Why do I try to encourage them and, and they me? Why do I bind together in different works with my brethren? It's just simply because God has called us for that. A great study to do, if you hadn't done it in a while, is to just find your Bible concordance and look at the word call. Look how often that uh, the Scriptures use our conversion or, or explain our conversion as a calling. We've been called out of the world uh, to assemble together, the church. We've been called out of the world to, uh, in devotion to Christ. That's the church. The church. Yeah. Old duty of man is fear God, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and, and keep his uh, commandments. So it's, it's all about of course, devotion. Devotion. Uh, I, I used to love to listen to Brother Richardson uh, talk about Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And he would, he would emphasize the church as the body of Christ and the fullness of Christ. As the body of Christ, we are called to keep filling full the mission of Jesus, which, of course, he came to seek and save the lost. We are his body. The head regulates the body. We've been called. It's a tremendous blessing. We've been called into this mission. Every single one of us, if we, if we declare ourselves Christians, we, we've been called into this. So it's, that's why we bother with the church. It's not, it's not a choice. The choice is made when, when we choose to follow Christ then that puts us into this, this mission, this separation from the world, this devotion uh, to Christ. 
Now, having said that about the church, let me ask you this. Does the church determine our faith? Does the church determine our faith? Where do we get our faith? The Word of God. The Word of God. The church is a collection, a fellowship of people who have responded to the Scriptures. As Paul says in 2 Thessalonians uh, 2.14, He has called us through the Gospel. So the church doesn't determine who we are. We, not that the church doesn't encourage us to be who we are, but fundamentally we come together because of our devotion to Christ. And that is what drives us more than anything else. You've heard... I've heard and I've read. Somebody would say, well, I used to go to church, but I had a bad experience there. I always want to say, well, so what? Isn't, aren't bad experiences just part of life? I mean, I have bad experiences all the time. My car. Okay. My, my house. My plumbing. My body, okay? It happens to your brother Gilliland. Your body starts talking to you in strange ways, okay? You get bad experiences everywhere. You're going to have bad experiences no matter what you do. But, but it's, not, it's, not, it's not that that drives our faith. Our faith is driven by Christ and his gospel and his example and his sacrifice and his, his, um, his molding of our character, we take that and try to encourage others to do uh, the same. A lot of times, folks will talk about how do you identify the Lord's church? You think that's a good way of talking to someone? I've heard this illustration uh, a number of times over the years. Um, Suppose your truck is stolen and you call the police and they're going to say, well, give us the description of your truck. It's blue, it's a Ford, it's 1990, it's um, got this type of tires and here's my tag number. And so they call maybe a couple of days later and say, we, we found your truck, Let's see if it's yours. And it fits the description except that it's a Chevrolet. Well, that's not his truck, is it? Are there certain descriptions of the church in the New Testament that, that we can name that would help someone identify the church in that manner? It has no name, no one. Okay. It belongs to Christ. Okay. What would be another characteristic you would give to help somebody identify the church? Out of all, out of all the different possibilities on the earth, even in our region, what would be some characteristics you would give? Biblical leadership. Okay, biblical leadership. 
What else might you say? That's good. Organized in a local scriptural way. Okay, meets on the first day of the week. Worships in spirit and truth. That would be a big characteristic itself. What do what does this group teach concerning the gospel plan of salvation? What is their attitude toward uh, the Word of God? So you can create a list before long of uh, certain things that, that you appreciate because of Scripture about a church. And then you can see if that can be kind of a checklist. But let me ask you this. And I don't know that I have really checked this out. Okay. But you know, people ask, in, in the scriptures, what must I do to be saved? Does anybody ever ask, what must I do to be a member of the church? Talk about in the Bible, did they ever ask? Did they ever ask? You're very true. That's one of the first things people ask about you, about your church. How do you become a member of that church? But do, is that a question that's ever posed in the New Testament about the church? Now, I'm not saying I've got that studied out, but most of the time, it, their focus was salvation. Which, which, is, which is how... Right. But they began with the needs of the soul. And once you follow that path of the needs of the soul, then you were added to the church. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with asking how do I become a member of the, of the Lord's church. I just want us to see the emphasis in the New Testament was first on the soul. And then, of course, that automatically led you to the Lord's church. What did Jesus say was one of the main characteristics where you would know that you have run into one of his disciples? Love. Love. That's right, John. Right, John 13, 34, and 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have loved one for another. Even as I have loved you. This is the one characteristic that is supposed to draw or grab people's attention um, so that they can be more interested in, in the soul. Is the love that the church shows to each other and toward Christ and toward, toward people in the world as well. Well, I hope that some of these questions can give us some tools that will help us to be ready to uh, talk about the Lord's church. There's so much confusion. It's overwhelming, really, how much confusion there is about the church. Uh, but we know, and anyone can know, we don't, there's no secret knowledge. It's all right in the scriptures. We know when you say the word church, you're saying a mouthful of tremendous teaching from our Lord. All right, we'll take a five-minute break. Thank you uh, for this time together.